what is up everyone welcome back to another episode of the rob save sports podcast and we have got an exciting episode today recapping everything that happened last week and i gotta say the nba playoffs have been amazing it started off slow in the beginning with first round matchups but going down the line with the nuggets and the jazz seven game series crazy donovan mitchell averaging about 35 points in the first round and also jamal murray averaging 35 points in the first round and it all came down to a game seven a slugfest an 80 to 78 win with the nuggets a close game through and through both teams trying to slug it out the end but denver pulled it off and advanced to the second round and will face the clippers the other first round series that was very exciting was the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, the interesting thing about this series is that CP3 getting traded to Oklahoma City and the Houston Rockets getting Russell Westbrook, this matchup was very exciting, very tenacious, very heated. But in the end, the Rockets pulled it off in the game seven. James Harden struggled throughout the game but made really the game-saving and game-ending defensive play at the end, blocking Dort at the end of the game. For the second round, we got the Bucks and the Heat, the Celtics and the Raptors, Clippers, Nuggets, Lakers, Rockets. And so far, there has been a little bit of disappointing stuff with the Bucks and the Heat. I don't think anyone expected the Bucks to get really just outplayed by Miami at this point you know I think most of the games have been close the second game uh, game two kind of went down to at the last second shot with Jimmy Butler getting fouled and shooting game-winning free throws to give the the Heat a 2-0 series lead and then game three Bucks were up in the fourth and Miami Heat scored uh, 40 points in the fourth quarter ended up taking game three win and today we just watched uh the bucks and the heat playing game four the bucks trying to avoid the sweep the bad news is that Giannis again injured his ankle he had to leave the game and really it looked like it was all over from there but the bucks and chris middleton able to take it home able to get the bucks to overtime and give them the win with about 36 points. But the thing about the Bucks is it just seemed like there was something missing for the team. There was Giannis, they had Chris Middleton, and you have guys, veteran guys like Bledsoe and Hill and Lopez. But for whatever reason, the Heat and Jimmy Butler has been a really bad matchup for the Bucks, and it looks like the Heat are going to, barring anything insane or crazy, it looks like the Heat are going to advance in the Eastern Conference Finals, one way or another, with a 3-1 series lead. And so we can go to the Raptors and the Celtics, and this one has been almost perfectly evenly matched between the two teams. The Celtics are able to pull out uh, Game 1 and Game 2, but the Raptors came back winning game three and four, having the series tied 2-2. And it's really showing the 
championship mentality that the Toronto Raptors still have on that team with uh, Kyle Lowry, Marc Gasol, Pascal Siakam, and all the role players last season really stepping up this season with Norman Powell and also the rookie Terrence Davis. All these guys really elevating their games to another level for the Raptors, including OG Ananobi, who hit the game-winning three to give the Raptors a game three win and really probably gave the Raptors really good momentum heading into game four, that game for a win. And this this series feels like it's going to go seven games and it could go one way or the other. I think the Celtics, which has much talent that they have, I think that they still have the best opportunity to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I can't, I can't count out the Raptors. Not yet. They have been pretty resilient for this whole playoffs. And I, I would not expect... It wouldn't surprise me at all if Toronto were able to pull out this series and go back to the Eastern Conference Finals. And so we'll head into the West. we got the Lakers and the Rockets. And with the first game, giving the Rockets only 48 hours of rest... To play the Lakers, who've only played one game in about 10 days, it was really a question between the rest or rust factor going into game one. And it looks like the Lakers had all the rust in the world. They could not stop the Rockets. They couldn't defend. A lot of the guys struggled trying to score. And just the Rockets, really their chaotic style of play and their small ball offense seem to really outmatch the Lakers in game one. But I expect the Lakers to come back and regroup. And it should be a fun series. And the last, but not least, got the Clippers and Nuggets. So you had the second seed versus the third seed with the Nuggets getting out of a game, seven-game series with the Utah Jazz. So the rust and rest factor was also there. But the Clippers showed right away in game one that they clearly had the rest they needed to blow out the Nuggets in Game 1. But Game 2 was a different story. Game 2, Nuggets came out with a lot more energy, a lot better offensive efficiency, scoring over 40 points in the quarter, in the first quarter. And the Clippers were just playing catch-up the whole way. They could not seem to get the lead down to the point where they would be able to surpass the Nuggets in the second game. And Kawhi Leonard, with probably one of his worst games in the playoffs so far, only scored 13 points in the game. But Paul George had a great game. And it's very ironic that the only game that Paul George has a really good game, that Kawhi struggled throughout. And now the series is tied 1-1. And also, uh, Nikola Jokic really tore up the Clippers in Game 2 scoring about 26 points and over 15 rebounds, 4 for 4 from 3. He really asserted himself in Game 2. But it still feels like the Clippers still have the talent, still have the defense and offense to take down the Nuggets. But we'll see. I still believe in the Clippers. It's just one game. Everyone can relax. And so another interesting story that came about around Thursday morning is the Brooklyn Nets have 
hired Steve Nash to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. And yes, it is that Steve Nash, the two-time MVP, the future Hall of Famer, multiple-time All-Star, that's Steve Nash. I didn't even realize that he wanted to go into or get into coaching. It seemed like it just came out of the blue, but with the general manager of the Nets, uh, Sean Marks, who is really good friends with Steve Nash, if you kind of put all the pieces together, it seems like this is probably months and months in the making. So now we can go to this discussion about Steve Nash, even though he is a Hall of Fame player, for him to surpass doing any assistant coaching, any front office stuff. You know, he was working with the Warriors as like a consultant, but nothing coaching wise or player development wise, but it kind of opened the question again about the bias in professional sports as regards to hiring hiring coaches. And Stephen A had a argument about an example of white privilege saying that there are other coaches that probably have more experience coach-wise to have opportunity at the same time. If, if the Nets are looking for someone, especially to be able to communicate with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, if both of them are giving them that they want Steve Nash, they're going to get Steve Nash. The interesting thing is I want to see who he has on the staff because that also matters. And because with, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, I don't know how much really sophisticated coaching you need to get those guys in their best opportunities to score. So as far as defending the argument of uh, white privilege, it seems like it's a case-by-case basis. It's not, it literally isn't just black or white. There is other Hall of Fame players, other good, really good players that went into coaching and really jumped the line getting a head coaching job when you have numerous coaches who have been coaching for years and years and years and really don't get the opportunity to coach at the highest level of the NBA. Similar guys like Magic Johnson or Jason Kidd two really great players, but neither of them have really found much success as a head coach. And the interesting thing with Steve Nash in this hiring, even though he made himself into a Hall of Fame player, into a great player, he did not start his career as a superstar like other players. He came from a small school. He was in Dallas in his early years, really couldn't find his footing, got traded to Phoenix, and he became a two-time MVP. Like, there's a lot of stuff that he can bring to as far as being willing to humbling himself and sharing those learning experiences with not just Katie and Kyrie, but also the young roster that they have around him, like Levert or Jared Allen. Like a lot of these young players on the Nets, I think are going to really benefit with Steve Nash. And it's it's just a thing where 
it's a almost like an NBA coaching circle. You know, once guys get hired as NBA coach and it doesn't work out, they are still able to somehow get another coaching job somewhere else just because, you know, it's a well-known name, regardless of the fact that they lead to any success or not. And while I don't think it's white privilege with Steve Nash, I still feel like there is a type of bias when it regards to NBA or professional sports. When the ownership is predominantly white and they're looking for someone that wants to lead their team, they're going to choose people who they're comfortable with. And that happens to be white. And it's probably someone that they know or probably someone that they've heard of, regardless if their record as a coach is not as on par as they would like it to be. But it was a, it's a thing where you would rather choose, you would rather hire a guy that can get your team to a certain point, possibly just 500, than, pot, than maybe to take a chance on uh, someone that you might not know personally, just because... You know, it's just more comfortable. It's easier. There's less probability for things to go wrong. But I think it just goes hand in hand. And I think with a sport that's predominantly black, I think it is good to have more black coaches. And I'm not saying that any black coach deserves a chance. I'm saying they should all have the opportunity to to come in for the job and earn the job. Because it doesn't seem like some coaches in this league really take teams to a level that they need to be successful. Because another coach that is in this discussion is uh, Nick McMillan, who was the coach of the Indiana Pacers. He got an extension like two weeks ago. Then right when they got eliminated, they fired him. And that firing was really, it seemed like they rushed to fire him. Obviously, the season didn't go how they wanted. They lost to the Heat in the first round. At the same time, you had Victor Oladipo, who wasn't really 100% healthy yet, and Demonis, and also Sabonis, who injured his foot and couldn't really play in the playoffs. So that's two of your top five guys who really wasn't able to produce the way that they have in the past. So I don't see how you could blame the coach and fire him after you extended him two weeks so there's a lot of stuff in here that's really a case by case nothing is general the only general thing that I think is of the coaching bias in the league where people are not going to put their reputation on someone that you know is not a well-known figure is not not been around in the NBA, but I think there's going to be an opportunity for them there. So if we go to the MLB, we haven't really talked about it in a while. Dodgers still in first place. They did, however, trade uh, Ross Stripling, and it seemed like their thinking is with Tony Gonsolin solidifying himself in the rotation that with the rotation already with uh, Dustin May, Yulio Arias, Clayton Kershaw, and Walker Bueller, if you're adding Tony Gonsolin in there, 
it seemed like Ross Stripling was going to get the short end of the stick at this point. And if he wants to be a starter, then he probably, it was probably best for him to start on another team. So good luck to Ross Stripling. I remember him. He was great, and I hope he does well. Some other exciting news is Vin Scully, the former voice of the Dodgers, joined Twitter last week. And what a way to start. Get yourself out there in the in the social media world. And it's it looked like the reasoning behind this is he wanted to interact more with the fans and more with people since you know, he's getting up there at age. He had a bad spill earlier in the year, and it seemed like he hasn't been able to leave his house health-wise. So it seems like an interesting way to interact more with the fans. We'll see how that goes. Everyone knows about how Twitter is and how it can be a very hard environment to go through. But hey... He's on Twitter, he said hi, and we'll see where it goes from there. And so, so, before we get into football, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, so, no preseason games for the NFL. We are heading right to it. The first game is on, I believe, Thursday on the 10th with the Texans against the Chiefs, a rematch. At the playoffs where the Texans had a huge lead on the Chiefs and the Chiefs came storming back to win the game so that will be an interesting matchup and so we're gonna go talk about the Rams a little bit more you know they're getting ready to play uh, the Cowboys in their first game on the 13th and it's gonna be an interesting season with the Rams they are in kind of a tight spot right now with the talent that they have on the roster with the money that they've had with Aaron Donald, Jared Goff and also Jalen Ramsey who is looking to get a new contract this really seems like a year where it could go one way or the other at this point they have the potential to get back to the playoffs again they could also have the potential to start off really slow and just possibly restart but they have good talent they have good they have good offensive talent great defensive talent it just seems the main factors that this could I think the main pieces that could be a factor in which way the season is successful is can the running backs complement Jared Goff the way that Todd Gurley did and it's probably impossible to replicate that kind of production with one person but but also it felt like with him constantly in and out of the lineup it kind of made the offense very disjointed at times and it put more plate on Jared Goff to try and do maybe too much in those games but also uh the offensive line has the offensive line was a big factor in 
probably the production, the offense production, not being as well as it was a couple of seasons ago. But with everyone returning, getting that experience last season, that's probably going to help a lot in terms of making sure that they're knowing their spaces, they're getting, they're not putting pressure on Jared Goff and giving him time to throw the ball, which is his, which he's really good at. And he can throw it to three different receivers who are really good. So it's going to be a very interesting season that I'll be watching and also recapping on this podcast as well. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, we talked about it a little bit on the previous podcast as regards to college sports. And so with some of the leagues already starting this weekend, it seems to me like the conferences are not going to wait for the other conferences to start, like the SEC or the Big Ten, the Big 12. Those conferences seem ready, and they're going to start playing. And the Pac-12 now has come out saying that they could possibly restart before the end of the year and try and either play catch-up with the rest of the leagues or kind of have possibly their own separate season as regards to football in the winter. But it just seems all kind of disjointed right now. It seems like it's all kind of disjointed right now. There's no continuity with everyone in the NCAA. And it seems like everyone's trying to do their own thing. Everyone's trying to start on time. Because honestly, at this point, the amount of money that college football makes for their universities that it seems almost impossible for them to not play and survive. The The good thing that I can see right now is there haven't been any really outbreaks that we've heard of in football. So as long as they can do that, as long as they can make college players safe and give them the safety precautions that will help them and get them through this season because it obviously isn't helping for uh, regular college students who have had a couple outbreaks already since the beginning of the year so that's not promising either but with you got the limited fan capacity you have the safety procedures that they seem to be following and the daily testing it seems very likely that we are going to have a college football season. And it just seems, it seems like whoever is going to start late is just going to start late. And we are going to ride this out. And it seems like we are going to go with the flow. My thought is that we really won't see the effects of the season until next season hopefully everything's back to normal i hope so we are out of time we are 
done with the podcast. I appreciate everyone for listening again. And we will see you next week on the Rob Save Sports Podcast. Bye.